So uh, last week we preached, uh, we looked at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and we looked at Pentecost. And what happened on Pentecost, the, the, when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and tongues of fire rested on their head and they spoke in tongues and, and proclaimed the gospel. Today I want to talk about how that moment produced a fire and produced fellowship and how, that's, and, and how the Holy Spirit should produce that same thing in us today. But I want to bring you up to speed in case you missed last week. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to his disciples, in essence, stay here and stay together because I'm going to do something extraordinary. And I'm going to give you this helper that we talked about in John 14 and John 16. I'm going to, I'm going to send this one who is greater than me. And he's going to empower you to take this gospel, to take this good news that I am King and Lord to Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But you need to wait until this happens. And so the disciples stayed together and they stayed in the right place. And there's so much that can be said about being in the right place with the right people for God to do something significant, not just in your life, but in the lives of the people who don't know, don't yet know him. Uh, this week during my personal private, during my personal study time, I was reading in Genesis and I saw that uh, after Adam and Eve fell, God shows up in the garden and his question wasn't, what did you do? His question was, where are you? Shame had caused them to hide themselves from the presence of God, or they thought they could hide from the presence of God as if he didn't know. But God goes ahead and asks the question, where are you? Because they weren't where they were supposed to be. Where they were supposed to be was without shame and full of the love of God and full of love for one another with one another in the presence of God. The two of them together outside of the presence of God wasn't good enough is not sufficient for life. And just, just being in the presence of God is a terrifying thing when we know that we've messed up or we know that we're shamed. Uh, fortunately, we, we see in hindsight what Jesus did for our sin. But Adam and Eve had no idea that was coming. You also see when Cain killed Abel that uh, God's question to Cain, when he went to Cain, he said, where's your brother? Because they were supposed to be together. Love was supposed to be shared between Cain and his brother and between them uh, and, and between, between them and then with God. And so God came on the scene. He's, where's your brother? And so my question for you this morning as we, as we consider last week's sermon is, where are you? Where are you Monday through Saturday? You're here this morning, and that's, that's amazing, and I'm excited about that. I love worshiping with y'all. Uh, I, I, I feel like uh, this, is, this is the kitchen Right When the whole family comes together for a moment and we eat a meal and we enjoy some stuff and we laugh, we even have donuts. If you get here with enough time, there's a bacon-covered donut. Yeah, but you got to get here a little bit earlier than you probably do to get that bacon-covered <laughs> chocolate donut because it's a, there's a lot of fighting over that donut, just like a family. <laughs> but it's like the kitchen. It's like the kitchen when everybody kind of comes in from their room and from the basement and from outside and sports practices are over and you rally in the kitchen and you have a meal. That's what Sunday morning is. But you don't eat just once in your normal life. So why would we do that the rest of our, the rest of our Christian life? So Jesus uh, tells them to stay. They stay. The Spirit of God falls on them. They started speaking in tongues. There were tongues of fire. And the real miracle that I wanted to draw attention to last week is not all the miraculous things that were happening, the rushing wind and all of that. What, was, what is miraculous to me is that God is pleased to dwell inside of man. 
knowing who man is, that he's pleased to dwell inside of them. If we're, if we're honest about our walk with Jesus and if we're honest about our, 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 our journey of faith, the, the reality is if I was God, I would have, been, I would have had a, a probationary period. Be like, I'll give you my spirit for about 30 days. We'll see how this goes. We'll check back in, six-month commitment, and then we'll reevaluate after that. Or, hey, I'll do this, but let's keep it a secret. Ladies, if a guy tries to date you, but he tells you to keep it a secret, game over. Right? (laughs) Vice versa too, I guess. Just assume, gentlemen, you better know better. But, uh, but I would have done it on a probationary basis. And then God said, no, no, I don't have to worry about the probationary basis because I know what Jesus has done in you is permanent. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to rest on you and I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you myself so that you can walk everywhere that you go, that I go, I go with you in a measure that's unthinkable when you think about how we are. Right? The, the doubts that I have or the days that I can go without thinking a, theory, a serious thought about God. You ever done that? You realized that you hadn't thought about God? Have you ever been singing in worship and realized you hadn't thought about God yet? You just were trying to get to that note real hard. Like you're like, next time. We get, we, that's why I'm glad we do songs the way we do. We stay in the same verse a couple of times because sometimes I miss the note and I'm like, third time's a charm. Let's get it. Or nope, can't get there. I'll drop the octave next time. Really, Shanique, I just grab whatever note's the closest and uh, pretend it's a harmony. (laughs) But but yeah, so you can go through worship. You can go through life. You can go through your day. You can read your Bible without thinking about God. You ever been reading your Bible? And you're like, David said to do this five for five challenge. That's to read your Bible for five minutes, five days this week. And, and so, you know, if, if you, if you, you know, I, I, I realize that when I said, read your Bible every day, what happens, which we should do, but sometimes I'm like, I didn't read it today. And then I get discouraged and I don't read it tomorrow because I didn't read it yesterday. So every day is already ruined. <laughs> Might as well toss out the month or the year. <laughs> Tragic. Just me, just the pastor. <laughs> Right, so I'm saying five for five. So, so as you get into this thing, and what my expectation is, it's going to develop a taste for you for the Bible. So, but, but you can be reading the Bible and get three pages in and be like, wait a second, this is all about God, but I haven't had a thought about God this whole time. I've been thinking about the laundry. I've been thinking about this errand that I got to run. I've been thinking about how I'm stressed out about the birthday party that's coming for my kids. And I don't even know how I'm going to make these things fit the calendar. Right, but it's easy to fall into those places where, where we're passive in our thoughts with God and, and he is worthy and desiring of our full attention. And so, um, so that's where we were. Jerusalem was packed because uh, people were there to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost was the thing for the Jews before it was a thing for the Christians. And they were there and they were celebrating and the spirit of God fell. And in this moment, they started speaking in tongues and tongues of fire. And they started, they started speaking out these people who received the Holy Spirit, these disciples. And, and um, people started hearing the gospel. People from all these other regions started hearing the gospel in their own language. And so there are people that spoke all these different languages, certainly from different dialects, and, and they, they were confused about, 
about what was happening. It's like, what's going on? Why are they, how are they speaking my language? How are they speaking my dialect? Why are they all the way down to my specific language? You know, the nuance that happens between Boston and Washington, D.C. and Georgia, right? You can kind of figure out, or Minnesota, you figure out what somebody's saying, or kind of generally where somebody's from. And so they're saying, these people are speaking my language the way they speak my language. You ever had somebody show up in your locker room and speak your language, but speak faith? Gentlemen, you, ladies, you had, ever had somebody show up in your workplace and speak the language of faith in a business way that you're able to understand what's happening? And you're like, you're speaking my language. You're speaking straight to my heart yeah. in a way that I've never heard before. And that's exactly what was happening in this moment. God was using them for it. The people's response was, aren't these Galileans? How are they speaking this language? Why do they sound so educated? They're, they're rednecks. <laughs> that's what Galilean in the Greek, it means redneck. No, I'm t- it's not true. <laughs> That's not true. But they were like, you're not educated. You're, you're, you're from Galilee. You're not the most educated. You're not the elite. You're not, a, you're not even a Pharisee or a Sadducee. You're not somebody who knows the law or is teaching in the, syn- in the synagogue. You're not somebody who's teaching in significant places. But what you're saying is hitting the mark. I hear the word of God coming from your lips. I hear wisdom and revelation and power coming from you. How do I deal with this? You ever had a little kid tell you the truth about yourself? That's what this moment was like. And you're like, who do you think you are to be telling me so much truth about things? I don't know if I said it here or not. One time my son, we were were laying in bed and uh, we were just talking before he went to sleep. And he's like, dad, when do you think time started? what? And so I took the easy way out. I'm like, well, when God started it, he's eternal times for us. Eternity's for him. So he set it in motion and that's the beginning of time. And he's like, no, 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 dad, I I got that at six, right? I'm in trouble. I'm I'm from Galilee. (laughs) He's like, no, dad. I mean, what time was it? And he's like, I understand that there was Pangea, so we didn't have the continents and everything. And I'm like, Pangea? (laughs) I better be Googling this. Keep up with my six-year-old. This is the one giant landmass before the continents were created, right? Just because you guys know. (laughs) And um, so so we're talking, and he goes, in their different time, it was like, and so here we go. Here's my opportunity to really input something. I'm like, well, it's a different time everywhere in the world, so we can't really know. He's like, yeah, dad. But like, what time was it here? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, son. He goes, probably about breakfast time. <laughs> like, like, just a big, he was so like philosophical and up there and everything else. Really, he just wanted to talk about eggs and bacon. You know, he's like, breakfast time. Because that's not a time. It's, come on, son, 7 o'clock, 7.30. Chop, chop. So people thought they were drunk. I, I love the honesty of the Bible that the people who wrote this weren't afraid of, the inher- of, their, of their upcoming and their inheritance as, as much as it could be confused with, with something else. They, they, you, like, you know, any of the places where we have con- contention in the Bible or seem like it's contradictory or seem like it pa- paints Christianity in a bad light, these aren't new ideas for our culture. We're not like, oh, that looks weird. It, these are things that people have wrestled with from the very beginning, ever since Scripture was being canonized way back in the early church. They were wrestling with these questions. This appears this way, this appears this way. How do we wrestle with that? And at no time did somebody say, let's erase it. Let's just tear it out. Let's just rip out Acts 2, 
The joke about the Galileans, I'm sensitive about that. So let's, <laughs> let's rip it out. We don't really want people to think that our movement, that our, that our church, that, that the Christian church was founded by a bunch of people who, who people thought were drunk. So let's just, let's just gloss over that or come up with another way to say it. They didn't do that. And so, but, but, uh, so I love that the insult of those people was in there. And then I love, I love Peter's response. Peter's like, no, 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 guys, we're not drunk. It's too early in the morning to be drunk. <laughs> Went from Galilee. <laughs> right? It wasn't like, oh, you foolish people. You know, like, this is the spirit of God and the power of God moving through us. He's like, no, we're not drunk yet. <laughs> Wait till Paul writes some letters. We'll get all that straightened out. No, I'm, I'm playing. That's, it wasn't, Paul had a, Peter had a good life. He lived right. But he says, it's too early in the morning to be drunk. But how, how, dr- how many drunk people do you know got smarter and clearer in proclaiming the goodness of God? Now, a lot of drunk people think that they're clearer and smarter but from the outside, it's obvious to everybody else that that's not at all what's happening. And so it's just, it's just amazing. So anyway, so that's, that's, actually, that's, a, that's my paraphrase of Acts chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple different verses through Acts. Now, if you want to on your own time in your 5 for 5 this week, I would encourage you, please read Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, the whole thing of it. Right? And once you get through Acts chapter 2, uh, my expectation is that you're, you're going to have an appetite for 3, and you're going to get an appetite for 4. It's remarkable. Where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, 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 the books that precede immediately the book of Acts in your Bible, uh, involve Jesus and his ministry primarily on the earth, the, the book of Acts chronicles the, the movement of the church and the, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and through the disciples uh, and the establishment of the church in different areas. And so Acts drives all over uh, the letters that Paul wrote and it drives all over Peter's epistles. And so you can kind of see what the, the overall church was doing, where the, where the letters behind the book of Acts focus more in on what's on the on kind of the micro scale of what's happening in the in the acts in the lives of the uh, in the life of the church but the holy spirit produced in them a a fire so last week where we talked about the fire of god resting on them tonight today i just want to highlight briefly the fire that was lit inside of them and it produced in them a passion and a desire for fellowship in acts chapter 2 verse 14. When they were being challenged about being drunk, Peter's like, no, 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 we're not drunk. And then it didn't stop there. And that's why I said I was playing. It didn't stop there. He's like, no, 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 we're not drunk. Let me, let me describe to you what's happening. In Acts chapter 2 verse 14, but Peter, standing with the 11, that's the 11 disciples, uh, lifted his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And and then he goes on to describe uh, from the Old Testament what they were experiencing in that moment. So they were having this moment. They were swept up in this moment. And everybody wanted to understand what was happening. 
And Peter says, this is something that was promised in the book of Joel, and it's happening now in your sight. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us, awaken us to the reality of your kingdom, to the reality of your love for us, the power of your Holy Spirit, the presence of your Holy Spirit. Help us, God. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand who you are better and what you're calling us to according to your purposes. Amen. The disciples were changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Peter who stood up, this this Peter who was afraid to admit associating with Jesus to a little girl just 50 days previously, 51, two days prior. This man who was afraid to associate with Jesus because of the persecution, because he was embarrassed to be associated with the man who was dying, the most gruesome and the most embarrassing of deaths. And he said, no, no, I don't know him. Oh, no, no, you must know somebody else. And three times he denied knowing Jesus. Now in front of a crowd of thousands, this man stands up and proclaims the goodness of God and talks about the promises of God. The best he understands it. Something changed inside of Peter and it's that the fire of God wasn't just resting on his head. The fire of God was burning up his heart. He's like, I've got to let you know. I'm not satisfied to let you think that anything else is happening. You must know that this is God and his plan and his purpose for you and I today. So he stands up and he proclaimed this gospel. And God gave him ability and, and capacity. He gave him uh, He gave him confidence and he gave him competence to be able to proclaim this word in a way that people would hear it and be able to respond. When you encounter the living God, he will change you and give you boldness and make you competent and give you ability to be able to share what God has done in your life and what God desires to do in others' lives in your words. He's going to empower you at the workplace so you don't just have to stand by when people are blasting the church. You're going to be able to say, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. You're going to be able to say, hey, you know what? I know that's the reputation, but that's not God's heart. And he's going to give you words and it's going to come out in your dialect. And it's going to come out with your vocabulary. And if you start sounding like me, it might confuse people. I wasted too much time trying to be like Pastor Brett Fuller. I can't do it. And those who know him better, like snickered just now. If you don't know Pastor Brett, he's... he's uh, the senior pastor of Grace Covenant. He's a uh, mid-50s, African-American man, wears a bow tie, sits on a stool, and is extremely di- diplomatic and eloquent. He would have made none of the mistakes that I've made <laughs> the last couple of weeks. But I, I spent time trying to be like him, but, but in trying to be like him, I was denying what Christ was trying to do through me. Anyway, so God wants to use you. He wants to give you that courage and that confidence. If you're not walking out of the presence of God with a sense of love and acceptedness, if you don't come on Sunday morning and encounter the presence of the living God, the Holy Spirit, if you don't leave going, you know what? God loves me. And I got to talk to somebody about this. If you don't leave saying, God is, is mindful of us in the situation that we're in. If you don't leave more confident saying, God has overlooked all this offense. Well, he saw the offense and chose to die because of it and rose from the dead because of it and has accepted me in spite of it. 
if you don't leave more courageous and more bold, I wonder if we're really encountering the Holy Spirit in worship. It's easy, the same way I said that it's easy to read your Bible or to be in worship and not be mindful of God. It's easy to be in a worship setting and only have an emotional experience. It's possible to cry tears and to have goosebumps, but never really encounter the living God. It's, it's almost easier to come in and sing the notes because it's less intimidating. If I just come in and sing the notes and check the box and then leave, I don't have to worry about the chance that God's going to reject me. If I just come in, you know, walk right past the donut table, don't get coffee, come to worship, and then jump out as quickly as I possibly can, I don't have to worry about, about somebody rejecting me or not accepting me. I don't have to worry about, about being shamed, so I'm going to reject first so I don't get rejected. But I want to encourage you that what we have in the resurrection of Jesus, what we have in the promise of the Holy Spirit is a promise that he not only desires to, but he's committed to refining us and making us perfect. Oftentimes we, we try and make ourselves, to, we try and rise to this level of, of Christianity or perfectness so that, so that God will accept us instead of recognizing that he's the one who makes us perfect. Saying, come to me. Come to me. We'll deal with the change. And what I love about, about this house is that it's going to be the same with the people that you walk up to in the hallway. You know, like, you can take somebody's donut. It's okay. You can park in somebody's spot. There's no reserved seats. I don't even have a reserved seat. You can try it. I sit in that same general area all the time just because it's close to stage and I can still see people. But you're going to be accepted and loved and challenged and loved. I sat with a couple this week, and I won't look at them because... Because. So it's everybody I didn't just look at. No. <laughs> and I challenged them. Because I love them. You know, sometimes we think that love means holding back and not saying a thing, but Peter got up and said the hardest thing that could be said. You're not good enough on your own, he said. There was this promised Messiah from generation to generation to generation. This Messiah was going to come and redeem us, save us from sin, save us from, sh- uh, save us from shame, save us from guilt. And you killed him. He didn't mince words. It says in Acts 2, verse 37, after Peter gets up and he preaches, he says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart or cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The word that Peter brought was strong and it was clear and it was powerful because the fire of God would not allow him to not say what needed to be said. There's a way to say what needs to be said that is so seasoned with love and so seasoned with the grace of God so that even the hardest things are pleasant. I've had some people tell me some truth about my life in a way that, you know, I'm like, I think you just cut me. Or it hurts so bad, it hurts so good. Like, I just, I know that you want the best for me and thank you. You don't even want to defend the part that was just a little bit off or where it didn't apply anymore. 
because you don't feel any need to justify any of it. Because you know you're just, you know you're loved. There was so much love and so much grace on him. It was so fresh in the presence of God that everybody was cut to the heart and he didn't mince words. I, uh, being right is different than speaking truth. When you're trying to be right, you're going to defend your position. When you're speaking truth, you're going to let truth defend its own position. And I think sometimes where we get in trouble in our evangelism, sometimes when we get in trouble in our marriages, sometimes in our parenting and our relationships, is we're more interested in what's right than what's true. Because what you think is right might not actually be true. And so what we do is we put it out there and we're like, you need to change this and you need to do it this way and this is what's right. And then we're insecure because we're not really sure if what we have is truth or if what we have is just our position. Peter didn't stutter. He didn't, he didn't justify himself. He didn't justify the disciples. He didn't justify anything else that was happening. He didn't say anything about his life, who he was or, or who he's not. He was just saying, this is the truth about who God is. And you have to deal with this. You have to respond to this. With my wife, if I just hold truth out, I don't have to defend my position anymore. I can just speak it and trust the truth is going to accomplish its work. And I can say it with as much grace as it can be said because I know truth is going to cut through in the end. In college, I was all about being right. And I was really offensive for that reason. I tell people, I, you know, I, I wanted to argue my position and argue how right I was. Sometimes because I didn't trust that the Bible or that the word of God, that God was actually strong enough, big enough, powerful enough, persistent enough to save them too. I thought God loved me and saved me because I was somehow good enough to be saved. And I wanted other people to be saved. So it's like, be good enough so he'll save you. That's not the reality of the gospel, and I'm grateful for that. Peter's fire produced a harvest of people who also came to God. There's this thing that happens, and I don't know how much it's in our congregation and how much it's just in the overall body of the church, but where people want to soak in the presence of God, and, and I love it, I, just listening to worship. I was walking around the house this morning with worship just playing on my iPad, and, you know, and, and so I, I love it. I love sitting down and just closing my eyes and resting in the presence of God. That's a good thing. But if it doesn't provide a heart, if it doesn't provoke a heart for other people, you might be missing part of the picture. You're probably missing part of the picture. If you don't have a fire when you walk out of there to go and love God and love people, you're, you're, you're missing part of the good news that you're supposed to be receiving in those moments. It produced fellowship. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, in the same chapter, it says, and they, being the people who came to Christ, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayers. 
I'm going to keep going. And, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed together had, these th- had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing to the, need, uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. The fire of God didn't just produce more passion for just God, but when they, when, as their vertical relationship with God was, was, was leaned on, when they leaned into that, it produced a love, a fellowship, and almost a dependence on one another as well. And, and that's what the presence of God should do in us and do for us, and do for one another. The gifts that they received at Pentecost, the gift that we received when we received the Holy Spirit, those gifts aren't for you, it's for the person next to you. The gifts of God aren't for the person that has them, it's for everybody else. A gift of leader that has a gift of, uh, a person who has the gift of leadership, is if that gift isn't for everybody else, it's, it's unfortunate, it's weird for a leader to exist for themselves. Makes no sense. Because leadership, more than anything else, is built for other people. It's unfortunate if somebody has a great singing voice. Let's get out of spiritual gifts. Let's just talk about natural gifts. If somebody sings really well, that's not for you, Shanique. You know that. That would get boring anyway. What tis tis? No. <laughs> no, she shares that because it's a gift for all of us. God gave her an amazing voice and a skilled leadership. In skilled leadership, He gave Tim a great voice and skilled leadership for us. It wasn't for themselves. This is a, I mean, if, if your gift stayed in the shower, that'd be a shame. My gift of singing was built for the bathroom. That's for myself because it's not really a gift. But when you have a gift of musicianship or a gift of music or a gift of hospitality, how, un, how, how disappointed would somebody with a gift of hospitality be by themselves? a lonely leader if it's not for everybody else. A soloist in the most strict sense if you're a vocalist. So what what gifts has God given you for everybody else? I mean, even leadership. I'll, I'll talk about that for a second. Our staff was talking about it the other day. But oftentimes, leadership is about, we, we make it about the person who's leading instead of about the people we're supposed to be leading and helping. And it becomes about, it becomes about me and my skill set. It becomes me and, and how well I do instead of about the people and what is it that they need. The people and what is it that God is doing in their presence. The people and what is it that God wants to stir in them. Certainly a leader needs to develop their gift. They need to, to, to get better so that we can give better to people who are leading. But it's not all about the leader. It's about the people. That's why one of the things that Jesus did with Peter is uh, after the resurrection, he, he, you know, Peter was out on the boat and Jesus was on shore and, and Peter sees him, he jumps off, he swims to him. He's like, do you love my, do you, do you love, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, you're going to be a significant leader in the church. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, there's a lot that's going to be based on the things that you say and how you say them. You're either going to do this for your own glory, for my glory. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. He only said it three times, but I'll keep going to illustrate. Peter, this letter that you write to people, first and second Peter, 
is going to be used by the church for generations and generations. If it's all about you, we're going to have trouble and we're going to build inward and we're going to build on the church of Peter instead of on the rock of Christ. You'll become the cornerstone instead of me. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Leadership, our gifts, the fire of the Holy Spirit, all of this was for everyone else. In Acts 2.47, and we'll close. As this was happening, people were praising God. The church was experiencing favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. More people were coming to faith because of their encounter with the Holy Spirit. As love increased, as fellowship increased, as the fire burned stronger, they didn't isolate themselves from the people who needed, who, who needed the message of grace and love. But they were welcoming them in. People standing on the outside saying, hey, I want, I want what they have. If your time with God is producing in you self-righteousness, then your emphasis is wrong. Right, that emphasis is on the wrong syllable. That's somebody's dialect. Somebody was like, I understood that. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the love of God, as it stirs our heart, as fire grows, we should not just have more of a passion for God, but more of a passion for people as well. That's an invitation for us grace covenant to love God and to love people and not just to love God and tolerate people or to put up with people or to love God and be changed and then stand up here and say well you're not nearly as good as I am because I'm much better because that's you what I love about this passage is that it's, it was ordinary people who God chose to do an extraordinary thing through. These weren't the trained ministers of the day. These weren't the skilled musicians. They weren't the skilled speakers. They were just ordinary people who had spent some time with Jesus, decided to follow him and started becoming more like him. And when they received the Holy Spirit, what came out was was revelation. What came out was life-changing. So that's the invitation for us as ordinary people to encounter the presence of God allow the fire of God not just to be around us but to burn up inside of us so that we love him and we pursue him and we love one another and we pursue one another and so that we love this world that needs this message of hope so desperately.